This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. I'm very proud to have as a guest today, Mr. Jackie Ix. He is the longest standing Chopard brand ambassador and a champion race car driver. Jackie, welcome. Thank you very much for this warm welcome. Uh, without any doubt, you mentioned uh, the right things. Yes, I am the longest ambassador for Chopard for uh, so many years, but also, as you said, uh, yes, uh, I play an interesting role into motorsport uh, since, without any doubt, also a time when you were not born. Yeah, your your career is one where you were you you kept winning races again and again and again, but in a different time and an era where driving was quite different. I guess the first thing that I'd like to hear about is. Compared to racing today, what can you tell me, in your opinion, that was quite different in you know the 1970s and, and things like that, where it was just quite a different world? How, compare and contrast for me. And probably even uh, before, because I started uh, motorcycle competition when I was 16. Oh. And that means uh, 1963. So... You asked me uh, if there are some differences between the races in those days and today. Um, may I say racing whatever motorcycle or car at the time was a kind of um, stone age compared to uh, the racing you know today. Yes, it's day and night. Like so, so it was more primitive. Is that what you mean? Like, help explain how that manifests itself. Well, uh, when I say primitive, it means uh, race was much more simple, much more dangerous, much more emotional. Uh, the risk was uh, uh, a reality. Uh, the safety was at uh, only starting. That means uh, car racing uh, U.S. on the side of the streets. You were using uh, houses, telegraph pole, wire, cat fencing, uh, ditches, and uh, all sorts of things. But nobody cares at the time. But uh, the only protection they were in reality were what we call uh, straw bowls. And so you can see it's very limited compared what we are having today. But um, it was really an enjoyable, very, very enjoyable time because, um, yes, we were kind of mercenaries, amateur mercenaries, but um, there was a lot of human aspect into it, a lot of friendship between the people, and without any doubt, uh, a nice link also between... Um, the spectators, uh, the spectators showing some passion for motorsport and all kind of exchanges. It sounds like you were a little bit of a daredevil because it was so inherently dangerous. You were a little bit less of an athlete. Of course, you were an athlete, but also a, a professional risk taker. Well, I mentioned the risk because it's a reality. But, you know, to choose what you like to do even if there is a, a risk, it's a, it's a human uh, freedom. It's your own, uh, your own choice. So I, the risk was existing, but I cannot say it's an obstacle to go into something which is really special, that means motor racing. The point is um, you, can't comp you cannot be competitive. If you start to think about the risk or the potential risk, it's something that's out of your mind. But the reality shows you in uh, figures that motorsport was dangerous. And that gave me the opportunity to tell you uh, today, yes, it's a miracle without any doubt to be alive. <laughs> 
If I ask the same question for Mar to Mario Andretti as I did last night, because it was a long time we haven't met and uh, I was his co-driver, we drove together long distance racing. We have the same opinion and saying, yes, uh, we did so many races for such a long time and we are alive and we have to be grateful. And I can add to that the three times world champion uh, Jackie Stewart, for example, also that I met in uh, Saudi Arabia early these years. When we see each other, we have a bigger, they say, oh, lucky we are. Oh, lucky to have survived to that uh, era. And today we enjoy life, we are, but uh, there are only few of us left. Now, I know that one of the things you're known for is winning the Le Mans Endurance race a number of times. And if you know a little bit about Le Mans, well, of course you do, I'm talking about the audience. It's a 24-hour race that's about the survival of the car as well as the driver. And I'm just curious, what does it take as a driver to endure all that time? Because when I hear about what a Le Mans driver has to do, it seems crazy. And I'm just curious, like, since you're a multiple winner, what does it take to get through a race like that? I think the, the first thing we have to uh, explain to the people who are listening to, to us, uh, Le Mans, in a way, it's uh, what is Indy for USA, the main competition of the year. To be a winner of Indianapolis, it's uh, a big achievement. And winning Le Mans, for a driver, if he has the chance to win it, uh, it's also very important. And that is the kind of races. First, you have to reach a, a number of stages to reach the team who is competing in the or competing at uh, Le Mans. But when you are there, you are ready to sign to win at least one time. But clearly, in my case, uh, winning six times, uh, it's something you cannot expect. And it's a little bit like going to, to play uh, what we call in French la roulette, to play the, the number, whatever, six or nine, multi-times, and each time to take the number in full. And um, you win these races. But um, uh, clearly there are three important races to win uh, in motorsport, or was in those days, Le Mans, Indianapolis, and uh, the Grand Prix of uh, Monaco. That's right. the three races. Of course, today in the digital time, you can follow uh, live racing everywhere in the world. Uh, you can see every detail on, on the race. So there is no comparison uh, possible. But racing, there are a lot of very, very good actors very talented drivers and clearly it's an exercise for the drivers who are leading the project of people you never see who uh, work behind the curtain you don't know they exist but they are there and these people are just making the right tool for you and up to you to try to win and you are chosen for that reason because people believe you may be one of uh, the lucky we know. So, again, winning six times, you must have been doing something correct. You must have had some special strategy or part of your character that other drivers couldn't really match. And maybe it's difficult to define, but I think it's, it's, it's obviously not a coincidence that you won six times. I mean, it's, it's great to compare it to gambling, but uh, it's more than that, right? First of all, you need... Uh, a, a talented co-driver. Because Le Mans, it's a, a race, 24 as you have said, um, roughly almost 5,000 kilometers in 24 hours. You need um, a co-driver, and I was lucky on that aspect because I had many uh, very good co-drivers like uh, Derek Bell or Jochen Maas or Mario, because even with Mario, I did... Uh, a number of races with Ferrari, but more than everything, you need what I call the right tool, and the right tool is the car. 
clearly when you have a group of people preparing a car who has to last 24 hours and also has to be efficient, um, these, it's easy to win when the car is a real good car. And the privilege in my case, without any doubt, if you speak about six wins at Le Mans, yes, it's just unbelievable. But if the destiny puts you in the right team and in the right car, because there is always one car with working better than the, the, the partner, your partner in the team, um, it's relatively easy. It's demanding, of course, but it's fantastic. And it's like uh, winning uh, multi-times in Indianapolis. One time it's great, but three times, four times, five times, as certain drivers did, uh, it's uh, amazing and incredible. That's very interesting. And I, I'm thinking about what you're saying about the machine. And I realized that today, and correct me if I'm wrong, in a lot of the professional racing circuits, the cars are, especially Formula One, relatively similar. Obviously, they're tweaked differently, but it seems that back then, the cars were very different. Is that true that the cars were quite different historically compared to today on the track? Uh, once again, uh, uh, you just can't compare. Racing... Uh, was fairly simple in a time in the 60s or even before the war. You know, before the war, the World War II, um, an auto, a silver arrow, that means an, a Mercedes-Benz on Auto Union in uh, 37, 36, 7, 8, there were cars with 500 horsepower who were doing 300 kilometers per hour. And they were doing it on race courses or uh, uh, road, uh, road tracks. And these cars that I had the chance to drive um, a number of times, cars coming from the museum for demo, uh, limited brakes, <laughs> uh, limited suspension, wheels, I would say... Uh, <laughs> almost bicycle wheels compare <laughs> yeah, what we those. had in, 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 in the past. These machines were doing 300 kilometers per hour already. And uh, uh, they were going with uh, ethanol fuel in those, in those days. Um, yes, they were fast. They were fast also in 1950, 60, 70, without any doubt, but they were very simple cars. Today, uh, the technology, the efficiency, um, the, um, the assistant to drive the vehicle because shifting, you change with the, you change gear with the fingers and not anymore. It's not anymore manual. Uh, air cooling in certain cars, uh, certain brakes assistance, power steering assistance. So you can imagine it's different and you know it because I'm sure you watch time to time, you watch um, the television and you can see uh, how marginal or fractional are the difference between uh, the top first. Uh, tiny, the tiny difference. It's not anymore seconds. It's not anymore even tens. People fight for milliseconds. And when we talk about, when we talk about that, clearly um, it's the same philosophy as far as the precision is concerned and uh, the demand to be uh, perfect. It's almost like the watch uh, business. There is no room for approximation. Right. And that's why I always insist for those who are behind the curtain, whatever they do uh, a watch, because, uh, whatever they do a race car, yes, the size change, the size change without any doubt. But, um, but um, yes, in cars, it's the same. Um, the opponents are strong, the competition is strong, 
but it's about the time running and the precision on the, on the time. I would say it used to be the case that many cars would not survive the entire race, especially the endurance race. And I understand that today most all the cars do survive. I'm sure it was very dramatic, as especially as a spectator, to not know which cars would die or break in the middle of the race. Because even if the driver wanted to keep going, the car sometimes would say, no. Yes, well, you point out exactly the point. The differences in the past, you have to handle the car in a way to make, to make sure it can finish. Because to finish or not was totally unpredictable in those days. Yes, you compete. The machine was the most important part when you speak about Le Mans or endurance uh, races. You have, to, uh, you have to accelerate when there is a must to gaining one place. But the basic idea is to save the car until the end and to make sure to finish. And I'm happy of your question because today, whatever it's a Formula One race or an Indy race or an IMSA race um, or Le Mans, yes, the machine can do the distance without any problem, flat out. So now we speak about the driver's ability to push the car to the limit for 24 hours. And that's the reason why uh, in the past you were um, two to drive the cars because you had to maintain the car till the end and physically it was demanding because there were no assistance, but it was possible. But now... A long distance race is a thousand kilometers, six or uh, 24 or you need three drivers. Why? It's because it's absolutely Grand Prix. Endurance racing became Grand Prix racing. It's flat out. So now you need three drivers to bring a car to the, the finish because the tension on the race is so high. And the demand is so high compared to your opponents that you have no other choice. That's very interesting what you're saying. It's not just about is the car going to survive, but it's basically a very long Grand Prix race where you need to be totally focused, total performance every second because that's what the sport now requires, even in the longest races. Yeah, I think, honestly, I'm surprised by your question because... It's abs the absolutely uh, a reality. I know you're an expert in uh, many other ways than uh, motor racing, but it's the first time I, I hear that somebody realizes effectively that handling uh, modern uh, racing, a Grand Prix, okay, a Grand Prix racing, it's 300 kilometers, it's not the same challenge, but anyhow, it's made to run 300 kilometers flat out, sometimes with 900 horsepower with the engine. And long distance, it's exactly similar. You need, you need to be uh, efficient for 24 hours, but also to make your tool work well until the end. You need these guys you never see or build up the car or maintain the car during the pit stop, the pit stop, the efficiency to lose a minimum of a second during refuel, refueling or to check the car or changing the wheels. I'm sure you know, I don't know if you have seen a, a, a Grand Prix race, but he, do you know that to change four tires in Grand Prix racing, the record is uh, 1.9 seconds? Wow. That's so fast. I've seen the pit stop. I didn't know it could be so fast. It's incredible. 1.9 is giant when you think about it. It looks the movement of the two people in charge of uh, changing the wheel looks simple. But the gesture, the most simple gesture to be efficient as far the timing is concerned is unbelievable. So the car stop, the wheel is taken out. The new one is put it in, in 1.9 seconds. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's fantastic. So that's why I always mention the people behind, uh, behind uh, the scene. Yes, in motor racing, they 
play a key role. But also, when I look in the watch business and building watches, you have the same people behind the scene who make the quality of the product they want to uh, you to enjoy. And, you know, it's fairly usual to be an ambassador, for example, for a brand like Chopin, uh, uh, it's a family, a family business. To stay 35 years uh, long with them, you can see also the changes and the evolution of on the precision, the details and the admiration for uh, the people who are at the foundry to make uh, the watch or the jewels, the people who are mounting the springs, uh, who are mounting the springs. It's, um, it's impressive. So I love the human aspect um, we are living today because we speak about watches or, or car racing. But you know, like me, that to be to reach the perfection to have the, mo the the motivation to have the passion for what you do it's the key of everything in any life whatever it is even if it's not as spectacular as motor racing or mounting watches or or doing this kind of uh, product it's basic in our in our life in our society we have to find what we are made for and then uh, do it the best way we can. That's the, the engine of, uh, of our life today. To like what we do, to have the chance to do what we like. It's, it's great advice and I agree with you. We should always strive, of course, to do what we love. So you go from being an endurance driver to an endurance ambassador. I guess I'm curious... What has Chopard and the Chafela family done to keep you happy for 35 years? Because it's quite an achievement for them to keep you as an ambassador happy for more than three decades. Well, I think to answer that, first of all, you have to understand that um, Chopard, it's a family business. I think one of the very few left in the industry in Switzerland, because um, the watch business and the precision uh, and technical uh, quality to make a watch is typically Switzerland. You have to be printed uh, Swiss made and uh, they have the know to through the years, for many years, because you know, already in 1780, uh, there were some scientists, uh, French scientists going around the world at the time of uh, Louis XIV with La Boussole and La Solape. There was already a man called uh, Ferdinand Bertou who made, uh, who made uh, a marine uh, watch who had an incredible precision considering that in those days you had not the tools we are having, uh, we are having today. So to go back to the family business, it's quite unique to have a ge fifth generation into uh, the business. That means Chopin was born in, I think, 1860, and they are still, t still there today. And what makes me stay with them is first the friendship I had for the family and the family had for me, but also because beside the fact that they do precise, um, very sophisticated watch, also they create a watch who became a, a, a watch is the um, Mille Miglia watch. And the Mille Miglia watch uh, represent the memory of those who compete from 1927 to, to 1950 cent in a race who took you from uh, Brescia in Italy to Rome and returned non-stop on uh, normal roads. And um, the iconic record, the iconic record of the Mille Emilia made by um, Sterling Moss and uh, Dennis Jenkinson is to have done in uh, 1953, I believe, or four, 
Brescia, Rome, and return at an average of 163 kilometers per hour. Interesting. And, sti- and still today, uh, the people uh, could imagine uh, what it could be. On the same, on, on the same, there are some mythic records like that one, and I own one of them. For example, uh, at the Belgium Grand Prix, uh, no, at the thousand kilometer at Spa, who is a, a famous track in Belgium, in 1972, I did one lap at 263.5 kilometer per hour or represent the fastest, the fastest uh, average speed on a road circuit. And that's more than 50 years. No, it's 50 years ago, precisely. So, yes, that's part of the emotion and why the public likes to follow uh, these races, Grand Prix races or endurance races, like they do when they go to Sebring or Daytona in the United States or Indy or Miami uh, for the Grand Prix. It's the same principle uh, today in uh, Europe for Grand Prix, yes. When you have the chance to have a driver so go well, well, you have a lot of spectators who share the passion for motorsport, um, like the emotions of motorsport, Maybe it's things they would have loved to do, but they couldn't have the chance to do it. And uh, it's just uh, incredible. Chopard does that so well. I mean, I agree with you. You know, you you see the Milamiglia collection, which is now very, very big. And you can imagine the world of Milamiglia. You don't necessarily have to ever have competed in it or even seen it. But Chopard, I agree with you, has done such a great job of getting the general public excited about motorsports, even if they themselves don't really know about motorsports. And now I'm starting to understand a little bit why you support this brand, because they support the things that you love. It's all about share passion. And that's valid for everyone in every aspect of the life. Yes, in motorsport, the Milia Milia represent an iconic uh, race. And um, yes, the people love to wear uh, one. It's that the kind of must today uh, is to have a Milia 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 watch when you are a fan of uh, motor racing or fans of uh, drivers you are sharing for because we always have, all all of us have or favorites. Geneva-based watchmaker Raymond Vile invites you to discover the beautiful caliber RW1212 automatic movement. Designed exclusively for Raymond Vile in Switzerland, the RW1212 features an exposed balance wheel symmetrically positioned on the dial under a traditional watchmaker's bridge. Inspired by the world's great musical composers and instrumentalists, Raymond Vile harmoniously integrates the RW1212 movement into a family of products that now also includes the visually captivating RW1212 skeleton. Raymond Vial is a family-owned and operated company that for more than 45 years has been celebrating independent watchmaking for enthusiasts everywhere. Visit raymond-wild.com to see more. Jack Mason is a Dallas, Texas-based watch brand founded in 2015. Last year, they made a big splash in the watch community with the launch of their Stratotimer GMT, which featured the Miyota Caliber 9075 movement. It sold out quickly. On the heels of that success, Jack Mason has launched a new dive watch based on the Stratotimer platform. Currently on pre-order, the all-new Hydrotimer 300 meter features a no-date dial with the Miyota Caliber 9039 movement and all the necessary specs you want to see in a proper dive watch. Jack Mason has also begun American wristwatch assembly as well as regulating timepiece movements in-house. With more enthusiast-based watches coming down the pipeline this year, be sure to check out their website at jackmasonbrand.com. Sign up for their newsletter to stay up to date on product drops and other Jack Mason brand news.
Do you still like to drive today? I mean, I know you're not race car driving, but I wonder, does the, <laughs> does the pleasure of driving stick with you for your whole life? That um, you make me laugh because, you know, in, in motorsport, there is a time uh, for everything. And unfortunately, today, um, I'm 78 years old. I raced for 32 seasons. I did every possible race uh, in and different uh, class like uh, Formula One, Formula Two, uh, even Canam. I don't know if you hear about Paris Dakar, who is the longest and the hardest rally off road. Um, I did all this, so I had my time, but clearly. my heart still beats for motor racing. I follow, I follow the youngsters who do it with so much talent and because the, the competition is so hard, so hard. It's incredible. But, uh, at least you become, uh, more clever and you realize there is a time for everything. So, um, my luck and my privilege was really, um, to be the, with the right team, like I am actually uh, when uh, I am a member of the Chopin family. Yes, you measure how important is to be uh, linked with the people who are working for you. And in a way, you are what you are because they are there next to you. And that's valid in every... Every business in the society, that's the most important point. And clearly, the success of Chopin, yes, it's because they have a different identity, because it's a family family, but also because the people behind uh, the product, behind the watches, behind the jewels, are talented people, they are respected, and they do their job with passion sensation of pleasure that comes from driving fast and competing how do you recapture some of that feeling after you retire like what how do you you know maybe now a little bit different point in your life but right after you retired what did you do to get to keep those thrills in your life I mean, because they're kind of addictive right uh, uh, i'm afraid uh, the idea is good but the reality is uh, different when you have been gifted uh, like uh, I have been uh, gifted, granted, uh, you have to, and you realize how lucky you were. Uh, no, I'm not missing racing. I received much more than I was expecting uh, at the start because also I forget, uh, forgot to tell you that uh, when I was young, my ambition was not to be a a driver and not, I was not dreaming about cars. Uh, you are going to be surprised, but, uh, I love the idea to be a gardener or a goalkeeper. I oh. want, uh, <laughs> I want to stay away from the noise and I love the idea to have a, a quiet and peaceful, uh, life. And amazingly, that's the mystery of the destiny. Um, I received a motorcycle as a gift. Um, with that motorcycle, I start to, uh, to be more efficient than I was uh, at school. And, uh, I must admit, beside, uh, the, the habit to be in the last group of people uh, at school, I was uh, doing fairly well. So, um, then, I had the taste of uh, winning races and to see that I was really good at something. And I was attracted by the fact that I could be uh, also one of the best and maybe a winner. So um, there was always someone to offer me a different uh, toy, if I can say. Yes, because you know the difference between men's and boys is the price of their toys. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> met on, on my part, I had people to offer me uh, to drive step by step, year after year, faster car, different cars, more competitive cars. And um, I was doing it fairly, um, 
very well. So um, at the end, people felt that uh, I could be a Grand Prix driver, and then I won my first Grand Prix as well in long distance races, and um, and 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 that's why. I went into a direction that was totally um, unexpected. Now that I have a certain age, I can go back to the garden. So I didn't miss everything. That's that's a, that's a great story. And interestingly, you know, I was reading a little bit about your history. Not only were you a winner all the time, but you were also very involved in safety and practicality. And I wonder how you mix those two things of pushing the limits, but also recognizing that the entire sport in a lot of ways could not only be safer, but maybe a little bit more civilized. And I'm wondering how you balanced the ultra competitiveness required to win and also the sensibility. Well, I don't know if civilized is the <laughs> right uh, word. I don't know is the right, because we are not in the, we are not in the jungle, but the important thing is not to have a, a short life, but the point is to be a survivor. And clearly, it was interesting to take care about um, the safety because safety at the origin was uh, very poor. So there are some people who start to think about having different kind of uh, circuits, different tracks to make a higher protection, put uh, the Armco barrier into it, uh, uh, there were people to uh, produce overalls who were really uh, fireproof. You had people who start to uh, use the seat belt and they measure how efficient it was to have a seat belt on. Uh, to have people who started to think about uh, helmets to produce better helmets. Um, to put the hand uh, the, the system, or oh, it's a protection, or oh, avoid you to break your neck when you are, you are involved in the shunt. So um, we were interesting to last longer, and that's what they did. And that's why racing today, yes, the, fatali the fatality will exist always, because it's racing, because it's a battle, but yes, uh, accident became uh, rare in a way uh, that uh, a fatal incident doesn't happen often. And I don't know if you have seen these incredible pictures of uh, a driver called um, uh, Grosjean, the French driver who had an accident a year or two years ago mm -hmm. where he crashed at 260 kilometers in the Armco barrier. And uh, the car went into flames. He was able to go out. To, he went through the Armco barrier. Wow. Uh, he was able to go out uh, on his own with only few burns. And that's not only a miracle. It's a series of miracles. But the main one was uh, a protection for uh, the car. It's called the Allo or protect the head of uh, the driver and protecting him in the cockpit. And clearly, that was the most sophisticated new uh, new safety um, rule into motorsport. And um, it was just incredible. Interesting, interesting. I'm changing the topic again right now because I love hearing your opinions. We're in a world right now where we're transitioning not sure how quickly, but from, you know, combustion engine racing to maybe electronic, you know, engine racing, and maybe even after that to artificial intelligence-driven cars as opposed to humans. And I'm just wondering what your personal thoughts are about the integrity or interest of the sport as we change engines and potentially even change drivers. Well, you know, the world changed permanently since uh, it was created uh, the humans came out of it's one species of uh, the it's one sp other species who became so intelligent or was able to do so many things. And if you look uh, uh, 
the last 5,000 years, you can see everything is changing, the world is changing, and we are facing a new t technology, as you mentioned, uh, the digitalization, uh, the artificial, uh, um, the artificial uh, mind, and yes, uh, all that exists, but who can make some prediction on what's going to happen in uh, 2050 or in 2100, nobody knows that. But clearly, we have to change the society is changing. Um, some people want to ban completely the combustion engine. Some people want to replace it by ele electricity. Some people already say electricity with, uh, will be overtaken by... Uh, uh, the hydrogen uh, engines. Mm -hmm. uh, so many things will happen and we don't have the control of it. But we know, we know that uh, we live another type of incredible era because with the digitalization, with uh, the artificial uh, uh, way of doing things, yes, many changes. And I don't go into... Uh, the question without knowing that we have to, to follow the world in movement. And for sure it will affect also motor racing, but it's not for today, it's for... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a philosophical question. And I'll tell you that the reason I'm most interested is we all grew up in a world where, of course not everywhere, but for the most part, if you lived in a, in, in a you know, a, a major part of the world, you're going to learn how to drive. You learned how to drive. I learned how to drive. I grew up in Southern California, the, the birthplace of the freeway, driving fast. And driving and operating a car is a skill that many people have. I wonder what we lose as a species if cars drive themselves and we use them like an appliance. Because I think that the, the simple act of driving, knowing how to operate this vehicle in a variety of conditions amongst other drivers, it gives us as a people special skills that I wonder what will replace it. Like I always think people need to operate some heavy machine to be, you know, to be as, as capable as they can be. You know what I mean? Yes, that's another interesting question. You're, you're speaking about the, uh, the autonomous uh, car and... Um, I think the only thing it will do probably is to weaker to to make us a little bit weaker. Yeah. Because I think to drive a car and to learn how to drive one and um, to keep having your attention kept by the road, by the people who had the different surfaces, the time and so on. I think it's an exercise also. And uh, I can hardly see, I don't know how old are you, 40. Okay, so you're young. Uh, <laughs> you're in summer. Yes, I can't hardly see myself driven uh, by a car. Uh, what for? To be able to be sitting at the passenger seat and uh, to work for or to plan my work for the day or the next day or after? No, um, I think I see the people continuing to exercise to keep their mind in, act in activity. No, I don't like the idea of to be driven by um, an artificial uh, component. You know what it reminds me of? When I was learning how to drive, it was this you know, big transition from uh, manual transmission to automatic. Obviously, this was before, but I had parents who liked driving, stick shift as they call it. And I remember people <laughs> saying, oh, it's not really driving with an automatic transmission. And I'm thinking like, yeah, but you can have a hand free to do other things <laughs> and you can just space out. And that was sort of like an early example of a little bit what you're talking about. I don't want to be driven around by AI. I, I like to drive but I also prefer an automatic transmission than a stick. You know what I mean? So it's like there's these phases of this happening. You would be surprised. You would be surprised. There are still an important number of people who like the idea of shifting. But probably I'm like you. In the traffic, I hate the idea of pushing on the clutch 2,000 times a day and yeah. to change gears. <laughs> Clearly, 
the two have an automatic gearbox uh, considering the traffic we are having everywhere uh, clearly it's the best uh, solution except that uh, there are always those who likes to uh, drive fast uh, you have the tracks and private tracks to uh, exercise yourself and have fun if using your machine like uh, a Porsche or a Ferrari or any sport car or any normal car, just the possibility uh, to speed up because this is something totally forbidden today and uh, with the radar control, the police everywhere clearly and the safety for the others. It's not a good idea to do it on a normal road. Yeah, but, most uh, people, I think today, don't even know what it means to drive really fast. I mean, like you, I got lucky because here in California and parts of the United States, you can go pretty fast. But increasingly around the world, we have these powerful cars that we can't really open up. It's like <laughs> we need to have more tracks because you're right. In the future, that will be really one of the places you can go and do that. So I, 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 su I support that. Um, we should talk about some watches because I I know that Chopard is the is, is the, the focus here. There's so many things I could ask you about, and being part of Chopard for 35 years is obviously very very um, impressive in terms of what you've seen. How has their racing watch collection improved because of your feedback? No doubt, the Shufela family asks you as the resident expert on racing watches what should go into racing watches. So how have you influenced? the classic racing, Mila Miglia, and all the motorsports team watches that they make today? Well, actually, we met one day by uh, destiny, good luck, timing, whatever, and we decided to make a uh, uh, few steps uh, together. We had to that uh, clearly uh, a super friendship, so I was offered... Uh, during uh, the first uh, 20 years, we did probably six different type of uh, edition, limited edition of uh, Jackie Watch. With a lot of kindness, I was offered to give my opinion about what to do or design or what I would love and so on. So uh, that was that was done. I must also say that even I was able to give my opinion uh, the job, in a way, was already done because they knew uh, me well. And also, there is the feasibility of what we have uh, to do together. So you can dream sometimes, but these dreams are impossible. But um, uh, the first satisfaction, clearly, is uh, to have done the job correctly uh, before and to have someone asking you, would you like to have a, a limited edition of uh, watch? And actually, to live without watch and without checking the time uh, 20 days, uh, uh, 20 times a day is fascinating. At, at uh, the moment, I have uh, the latest uh, Mille Miglia from 1922, uh, uh, in uh, two months, we will have a new one because every um, every year there is a new Mille Miglia, Mille Miglia watch. And uh, I must say, I know already what it's going to uh, look like, the new uh, Mille Miglia. But I'm not allowed to tell you how it looks, but I can tell you it looks really, um, really great. And also I like to add that... Um, with the Museum of Chopin, who has the old collection of uh, Mille Miglia watch, I think the only one I know who had the same collection, it's me. So each time and every year, I receive one watch uh, from Chopin. So we are two only in the world to have the full collection of Mille Miglia watch. So, um, well, yes, um, uh, I have to be grateful for all these little things that make life so so different. But the most important is to have the option to to share the same passion and the same emotion with the people uh, around you. I had that in motor racing, uh, and I still have it because I meet a lot of people I met 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But... Um, I have the same feeling about um, the watch business and the uh, the watch industry. 
I want to mention some of your limited edition watches I think are pretty cool. It doesn't represent all of them, but what Chopard did for Jackie is they modified um, some of the movements to create a 24-hour chronograph, of course, in honor of 24 Hours of Le Mans. And these are actually quite uncommon on the market. You don't have these 24-hour chronographs. So if you go back in some of the archives for some of the uh, the previous limited edition um, Chopard Jackie X watches, I think that those are, are, are very, very cool. Now, you talked a little bit about and this will be the last question, um, you know, the, the new Millimiglia watches coming and things like that. What do you recommend to Chopard to maintain this connection to classic racing in a world that's evolving, right? Like, it's one thing to make watches for racing that is happening now. It's another thing to make watches for racing that happened in the past. What do you think is the best uh, types of emotions to connect with the watches that remember races of the past? Well, the reason it's still going on and still every year there is a new one is the satisfaction of those who bought these watches and the satisfaction of the customer who have been attracted by the watch, by the, by the design. And uh, because it's a successful, a real successful product in the shopper activities. So without any doubt, it will not change. And that's the reason also why every year there is another one and the attraction remains the same every time. That means uh, it's the product that the people are waiting. I want everyone out there who's interested in um, Jackie's history to read about his fantastic racing career, his wins, six times at Le Mans, not exactly a small feat, as well as other things and you are an incredible ambassador for a brand. And the relationship that, that Jackie has had with Chopard 35 years is nothing to scoff at. This is an unprecedentedly long relationship. You're more than an ambassador. You are a, 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 a facet of the Chopard personality. So thank you for your, 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 your time in that, in the watch industry. And we'll have to catch up and, and talk more about watches soon. Oh, if you want to know a little bit more about Jack X, you can also go on Instagram because uh, finally uh, I made my landing on the uh, 21st century and uh, a year <laughs> ago, uh, a year ago, uh, I decided to put a little bit more about Jack X on Instagram. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Ariel. Thank you very much and God bless you. My pleasure. This has been the Superlative Podcast with Jackie X. Jackie, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas, please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com. For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit a blog2watch.com.